You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Tomorrow War. Well, they say kids never come by unless they need something. Dad, I need your help. I'll get my coat. 30 years in the future, we are fighting a war. Our enemy is not human, and we are losing. We need you to fight. I will be back. And I love you, Chickpea. Seven days from now, when you're sent into that war, you won't be fighting for your country. You'll be fighting for the world. Is it all right? Yeah. Going to war. Stop talking. Listen. Sorry, when I'm nervous, I talk. I'm like 97 on the nervous scale. That should be fun. Welcome to the future. You and your unit are now in 2051. They're everywhere. We are food, and they are hungry. Our enemy is smarter, faster, and stronger than you can possibly imagine. Do you want to see something really dangerous? I feel like literally that's all I've been doing since I got here, but okay. Within the next few weeks, the human species will disappear from the face of the Earth. Nothing we do here matters. That's where you're wrong. I don't believe that one bit. Together, we can stop this war from ever happening. This is my opportunity to give this world a second chance. Second chances are really hard to come by. Light him up! I'm not gonna hide. I'm gonna fight. It's not even loaded. Yeah, well, yeah, it's not loaded. It's a pressurized cabin. Why would I load it in the cabin? The bullet goes in thing and everybody's sucked out. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Tomorrow War, and the story is as follows. A man is drafted to fight in a future war where the fate of humanity relies on his ability to confront his past. The film is starring Chris Pratt, Ivan Stravowski, J.K. Simmons, Betty Gilpin, Sam Richardson, Edwin Hodge, Jasmine Matthews, Ryan Kier Armstrong, and Keith Powers. It is directed by Chris McKay and written by Zach Dean. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Daniel Howitt. Hello, hello. And Tom O'Brien. Hi, everybody. All right, so The Tomorrow War is a movie that was originally supposed to be released theatrically by Paramount Pictures. It was acquired by Amazon and is now streaming on Prime Video. And this is different. This is a original blockbuster, not based on any pre-existing IP. So in that regard, this is definitely a rarity in today's cinematic landscape. Starring charismatic movie star Chris Pratt, also controversial in some parts uh, because of some of his political, religious views. I know they don't go over so well with a lot of people a lot of time. And there's also the question of whether or not if he really even is a good actor. You know, we'll get into a little bit of that here and how well he carries this film. A lot of intriguing elements here. Definitely borrowing a lot from other movies as well to try and come up with a wholly original premise. What did you guys think of it? I'm going to kick it over first to Daniel Howitt. First of all, I don't know about you guys, but it, it kind of feels like Amazon has totally abandoned abandoned this movie. I, I feel like I've seen like zero advertising for it. Is that just me? Am I like just missing it? No, I don't think it's that. I do believe that when it comes to the streamers, um, they do tend to have a very different marketing strategy than, say, some of the other big studios do. Yeah. And in that regard, I, I think that it's kind of like the way it is for a lot of movies. They premiere one weekend on the app, you watch it, and then the next week they got something else ready to replace it. Yeah. And also, too, uh, you know, the other thing, you know, the fact that the embargo, for example, was the day of release on Amazon Prime, I think it just goes to show you that they didn't have full confidence in this movie. 
And and I was going to talk about that. I, I don't fully understand that. Um, I mean, we can talk about it more more later. I'll get into my thoughts on the movie. But yeah, I, I, I was kind of confused as to why they held the embargo for so long. I think that hurt them from a marketing perspective because I actually don't think the movie is that bad to justify a day of release embargo. Um, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't fully understand that. I think they shot themselves in the foot a little bit. But as far as the actual film itself, I actually think it it comes close to being a great movie at times. Um, it's it's not an awful movie. It doesn't quite stick the landing. Um, I think the premise of this movie is actually really interesting. Um, it, it does feel a little bit derivative of, of other better movies like Terminator or Edge of Tomorrow, especially Edge of Tomorrow, considering their titles are so similar. Um, but the premise is still pretty interesting in and of itself. Uh, Matt, you talked about Chris McKay. I, the action is actually pretty well directed overall. I think the film is well directed. Uh, I was pretty shocked at how brutal the action was for this being PG 13. I was really surprised by that. The first time that Pratt and his unit are dropped into the future and they land on this roof. It's a brutal sequence, really, really brutal. And I think it worked really well and helped make the movie feel grounded and just more, more intense than I was expecting. But the absolute best thing about this movie is the creature design. It is absolutely incredible. The aliens are genuinely terrifying, and they're really, really unique. I, I, I couldn't think of a good comparison visually for these aliens. They honestly are very unique, I think. Um, they look terrifying. The, the way that it, that, that it moves and, and that it attacks is genuinely frightening. So I, th I, th I think that was a huge success. So for the first two-thirds of the movie, I was actually pretty into it. Not, I wasn't, like, loving it. It wasn't uh super memorable but it was it was pretty decent uh decent action blockbuster and then unfortunately in the last third kind of the third act the the script completely drags the whole thing down there's it, it takes some very bizarre turns that don't make any sense and aren't necessary at all and it actually becomes a completely different movie and uh and it really was just bizarre i thought the movie was actually ending and then it went in this other direction and it lasted another like 30 minutes. So uh, that totally sunk the entire experience for me. So, um, so yeah, I, the script really as a whole was just the biggest weak point for this film. Uh, tons of exposition, bizarre turns. So I'm really mixed on this. I'm very right down the middle on this one because the action was actually pretty good, if maybe a little unmemorable. And then the script was pretty terrible. So I, 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 get, I, I think I lean a little bit more negative than anything, but it, it's right down the middle for me. It's, it's okay if I'm being generous. All right, Tom. I was speaking with you yesterday very, very briefly, and you were about 30 minutes into the movie, and the white spikes, the creatures, hadn't even shown up yet by that point. So I'm curious to know, now that you've watched the whole movie, what did you think of The Tomorrow War? Wow, I really wanted to like this movie so much, uh, and I'm very much in the same uh, same place that how it is. Uh, I've, I come away from it with decidedly mixed feelings, but I do want to emphasize the positive because there's some real positives in here. Um, the premise, as you mentioned, is fresh. And boy, this is a genre that I don't think has had a really fresh premise since Edge of Tomorrow. And uh, this was kind of a very pleasant surprise because it, it allows, the structure allows a lot of family drama and uh, elements that you wouldn't normally get in a, in a film like this. And it was, I'm, I'm very happy they tried it. It's totally agreed on the action. It, I think it's very well staged. And what, well, also one thing I liked it, it's relentless. When, it, when an action sequence starts, it does not let up. Um, part of it, I think, is because of the creatures. Uh, I would totally agree that this design is different. I mean, I've seen kind of other reviewers say, oh, it's just like a quiet place. No, this is not like a quiet place. No, this makes the aliens in a quiet place look like kittens. <laughs> exactly. And it's the thing is, the, this, these aliens, apart from the terrifying character design, they just don't give up. And they, unlike other aliens and other things that uh, in the other movies that stomp around, this one, these gallop, these are at you and they will not stop. And the confrontations between our heroes and them are really visceral. Uh, they they have to fight them. It's not like they, you know, it, it, this, this is, 
real action things. And that really um, raises the stakes here. There's some real stakes here, which I really, uh, which I really appreciate. And um, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, this is the hardest PG-13 I think I've ever seen. And maybe it's only because people didn't drop an F-bomb or something. But uh, it, this is pretty intense. So if you have a family and we're gonna gather around to see that nice Chris Pratt, um, think twice about this one because it's, it's really uh, something. Uh, and I think between the action and the uh, creatures, those are two very strong calling cards that I didn't expect would be as good as it was. I'll get to the negatives later, but let's emphasize some very good things about the Tomorrow War. So I find it really funny that this movie's called the Tomorrow War when they constantly refer to uh, the event in this movie as the Future War. And I almost <laughs> wonder if that was an original title and they were like, no, no, no. Somebody behind the scenes was like, let's call it the Tomorrow War. It'll echo Edge of Tomorrow. And, you know, <laughs> it's like I, I just kept thinking that's like such a weird change because it felt at times like this movie was supposed to be called the future war am i going crazy insane no, com completely <laughs> yeah. agree completely yeah. agree so in that regard it's like there are these inevitable comparisons to something like edge of tomorrow where that had a loop premise where the character was reliving the same day over and over but it did also have an original setting original creature design and as a result, you know, dealing with time travel, there are these comparisons that I think will come across here. First and foremost, what I will say is Chris Pratt, he's no Tom Cruise. And I'm not even saying that in the action hero sense. I'm also just saying that in the dramatic sense as well. Tom Cruise, when he really wants to put in the effort, can deliver a really, truly terrific dramatic performance. Chris Pratt, I don't think, has had the ability to show that quite yet. And there are elements to the Tomorrow War that hinge upon him being able to successfully deliver a dramatic, emotional scene. And I think every opportunity that, that there is in this movie for him to do that, he just completely misses the mark. And I don't know how much of that is him and how much is also Chris McKay, because... As much as I agree with you guys, the action in this movie is so incredibly well done. The stakes, like Tom said, feel so real. Like, the humans are not killing off hordes of these aliens over and over and over and over again to the point that they feel like they are inconsequential. It takes real effort just to kill a single one of these. And so the threat just feels so gigantic every single time they pop up on screen. I, I think all of those elements are fantastic, especially the creature design. My God. Mm. I mean, this is probably the best creature design I've seen for a movie, maybe since Starship Troopers, if you ask me, mm. which also has uh, certain elements, I think, that are also incorporated into this film. This film is like a like a mix of all different types of uh, action sci-fi movies that we've seen over the years. It really is. It's yes. like they took every single good idea about all of them and meshed them all together to try and come up with something original. And, I, I, and that's not a knock. I actually think that that is a good idea. Borrow from your favorites and try to come up with something that seems new as a result. But criticism was just thrown at the screenplay. I think outside of the action sequences, I do think that Chris McKay drops the ball when it comes to both, I don't want to say plot coherence, but more so in terms of <sighs> stretching the believability of the plot. Like, there are so many times in this movie where I'm logically asking questions that should be addressed by this screenplay or by the director, and the screenplay just kind of glosses over it and just moves us over to the next thing because it wants us to suspend our disbelief. And that, I think, impacts pretty much every single scene outside of an action sequence. I mean, literally every single scene. That is, like, the main thing that holds this movie back for me is outside of the action sequences... This movie just can't deliver both from an intelligence standpoint to its plot and also emotionally because th there are times where this movie just really wants us to care about these characters and what they're going through dramatically and it just never lands. No. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. 
You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Yeah, and I, I agree, though, to, to a point. I totally agree that it never really lands from a character standpoint. But you 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 said you were placing the blame on Chris McKay, and I actually disagree there. I, I think it really is a flawed script. Um, I think the script is trying to get us to care about the characters. The movie spends 45 minutes setting up the premise and the lead character of Dan Forrester in the beginning of this. Like, like right. it's trying. Well, I actually think that I, I think that's that's what didn't work for me is I think it was spending time trying to build in the wrong direction. It's it tried to get us give, give us so much time and building blocks to make us care about the character and his family and his familial background. When it's like that actually has nothing to do with the freaking end of the world war. And they tried to make all these family connections and, you know, I don't want to go get into spoilers for the last, you know, third of the movie, but they really hit hammer that home. And I think that was completely misguided. I would have taken out literally all of that familial connection because it added nothing at all. I was much more interested in the freaking war <laughs> that's going on here. <laughs> like and so that's what really sunk it for me. I just think as a script, I think as a screenplay, the whole thing just really was bogged down with this stuff that I didn't really care about. I wanted to see more of the action, more of the war, more of the plot. I mean, this setup of how basically in the future, 28 years uh, later, humans are on the verge of extinction. And so they travel back in time and they quote Star Wars saying, you are our last hope. And (laughs) basically is telling them, hey, in 11 months time in the future, the human race is going to be wiped out. We need your help to fight this war. So there's the first ever worldwide draft. Less than 20% uh, of people that do get drafted survive. And this is a great setup because you're getting these average, ordinary citizens to essentially travel into the future for only 168 hours or seven days in this case. And they do what they got to do with not really much training. And then they come back if they are alive. Great setup here. Love it. Excellent way for us as an audience to also experience um, a futuristic, horrifying war from a very ordinary citizen's perspective. The problem is the lead character has an advantage over everyone else since he's ex-military and he's a scientist. And it feels like the screenplay. All right, Dan, I I will I will level with you on this. I do think that the screenplay does uh, two things way too often. It creates way too many conveniences Mm-hmm. There are honestly a lot of times uh, ways to write around problems that the screenplay could logistically run into. And then there are also, at the same time as these conveniences, stupid, unnecessary roadblocks that are also put in to keep the drama going. Mm-hmm. And I'll get into specifics without trying to get into spoilers a little bit later. But I, I, I just keep asking myself like these questions throughout when I was watching this movie. Like, He's got the toxin. Why is it not being used? Exactly. Why won't the U.S. government fund (laughs) this mission to northern Russia? Like, 
they mass produce the toxins so that they can use it in the present and they have like all these crates and everything. How? Where did they get the funding? This um, this person who is from the future is now in the present and the ability to jump back and forth in time is now gone. So what happens when she's eventually bored? Is there that paradox thing that they mentioned earlier? Like there are all these questions that I have while watching this movie and it feels like the movie is just wanting me to go, dude, dude, don't think about it. Just go along for the ride. Yeah, it's, I, I think that that kind of glossing over is it ultimately hurts the film and really hurts the film in the memory. You know, it's like I'm, I'm kind of grooving on the action when I'm watching it. But for those questions for me were, you know, afterwards, like, huh, huh, huh. And it winds up the film winds up for at least for me um, having a much more of a down downer of uh, take away from it than I would have had otherwise. See, like this movie is so close to being great. Yeah. Like there are all these little tiny things that they could have just fixed along the way. Very, very easy, little tiny things. And they add up. And it could have pushed this movie over from negative to mixed into true positive territory. I still don't think it would have been, you know, a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 movie, but at least it could have been a much more positive experience. And you know what's another thing, too, that I think that this movie is unfortunately saddling us with is its runtime. Yeah. This movie is two hours and 18 minutes long. It, it feels like it's a little bit longer than that. It feels like it's two and a half hours long, if I'm being completely honest with you. But that's because the movie reaches an emotional climax, as mentioned earlier, and it feels like that that's what the movie's been building up to this entire time. Yeah. There's also this solution that is presented to the characters. And you don't really need to do anything more. You can explain how that solution will just be used. They win. You don't really have to have the screenplay go any further. The character also undergoes an arc mm-hmm. where yeah. he fulfills his destiny of how he is foretold his future will go. And when he comes back, spoiler alert, sorry, I, I'm trying to get around spoilers here but I got to address this stuff in order to address my problems here like we finally get this context that will fulfill this character's um, pre-written destiny of what he is ultimately going to do to his family when he does come back because we see the change in him so all this is making emotional dramatic sense and I remember watching it and thinking all right the movie's ending really strong this is really poignant this is really well done I'm, I'm liking where we are right now and I was in the positive territory with this movie at that point check the runtime 40 minutes are still remaining <laughs> yep exactly 40 yeah jeez. <laughs> Matt was texting me. Matt, I had already seen the movie. Matt was texting me when he was watching it. And he was literally walking through that whole thing like, hey, this is great. This is going great. And I was just sitting going, yep, wait for it. <laughs> just wait just for wait. it. Now, granted, I think the I think the final action set piece is, once again, genuinely thrilling. And it's so incredibly well executed from an action standpoint. But my God, did the movie actually need that? Boy. Yeah, it, it just it's it, it, the difference here, I think, is that there are some people have argued that this is, oh, this is a standard length for a summer blockbuster and that kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, really, I mean, In the Heights is four minutes longer than this, but In the Heights zips. Mm-hmm. But it's not a matter of the length itself. It's more no. a matter of your screenplay reaching a natural conclusion and I don't I just don't understand why there needed to be more because you're taking the audience on this emotional journey. You fulfill the character arc. You have a solution to your ultimate problem. Why are we continuing to keep going? (laughs) Exactly. So by the end, the effectiveness of everything, the emotional resolution that had come earlier gets almost completely dissolved. And what could have been a major impact is just dissipated. And, and that's that is, I think, ultimately, for me, the most disappointing part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that's ultimately the biggest problem of all is the fact that because of this, this is a major issue with the movie. All the other stuff that I've complained about here in terms of Chris Pratt being able to carry this movie dramatically or some of the issues with the plot and the holes in it and so on and so forth could be forgiven if your movie ends on a high point. But instead, the movie does end on a high point, keeps going, tries to end on another high point, and quite frankly, other than, like I said, another brilliantly staged action sequence, I really do not think that the actual ending of this movie is as effective as the fake-out ending that came earlier. 
<laughs> totally agree. I would have been so satisfied with the fake out. Yeah. Yep. And, and to be to be fair to Chris Pratt, you know, I, I think I, I agree. I don't think he's the strongest dramatic actor. I don't disagree at all. But I think he, first of all, didn't have a ton to work with here. You know, I don't think the script is doing him any favors and giving him uh, uh, a lot to really hold on to during those dramatic scenes. Oh, I disagree. I, I think it is all there. You, you don't think like the scene with him and uh, Yvonne, like on the beach, for example, I, I, like he does not have an opportunity to react to that scene a little bit better. I suppose he does. I'll, I'll give you that. I suppose he does. I just didn't care about that plot line to begin with. Just period. But that's the, but that's the emotional core. That That's what's driving exactly. your lead character forward through everything to the point that, you know, he's irrationally abandoning his mission because of his sentimental attachment to his daughter. And right. it's like, dude, the mission's at stake. Why are you putting yourself at risk? Why? That's my point. That's my point. I, I found it. I found it dumb as a concept. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that his performance, I, I, I'm not trying to, I don't want to, I'm not trying to defend his acting because I don't think it's, it's great. But what I'm saying is I, I, I found the plot itself to be stupid. So when it came time for, for him to perform it, I was already out. Does that make sense? Like I was already like, I don't care about this at all. This, yeah. this whole plot line. Yeah, so that's, that's what that's what didn't work for me. Yeah, if you've given up on it by that time, then exactly. I, can, I can see that not working. Uh, I, I hadn't, and I just would see the missed opportunities in, in these dramatic scenes. Part of it, you know, and ironically, um, Pratt is surrounded by really good actors. And yeah. when he goes one-on-one -on -one with, let's say, J.K. Simmons, oh, it's just the, it's such a mismatch. And, yeah. you know, you really do want to have these two uh, two actors on the same level. And uh, even, even an actor as good as Simmons, I mean, some of these lines are really clunky. And it even takes a J.K. Simmons to really make them sell. There's a lot of forced jokes and dialogue yeah. in this. I mean, like a ton. Did a single joke or quip that J.K. Simmons, Pratt, or even Sam Richardson, God bless his soul, did did any of them land for you guys at all? Look, I love Sam Richardson. So he, he worked on me a little bit. I, I was, I mean, it always felt out of place. Like it never felt like it it, the jokes should be there, but I just think he's great. So, so he, I, can I, I can like I ask it. you, can I ask you a question? Cause this bothered me on a second viewing. I'm not so sure if I noticed it the first time around because I was so into the action, but on a second viewing, spoiler alert, at the very, very end of the movie, there is a final confrontation, a fight going on. Two characters are involved. He is the third character and he's not a part of that scene. And did anyone feel like there was a missed opportunity for him to kind of take a little bit more uh, of a substantial role in the climax of this movie? Because it, it just feels like he's disappeared. And maybe maybe what he's been doing is he's been trying to like run to where the other characters are all this time. And it does feel like he arrives too late at the end and he just kind of like collapses. And it's like, what was the point of having him there? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there there is a, a, a attempt at a, a self-sacrifice in that scene that I, I suppose that's why he's there. But uh, uh, on the you know, just he does seem like a bystander. And when you have J.K. Simmons as a bystander, that's not a good thing. I did have to, though, to the defense of the movie, one joke I did laugh at was when Sam Richardson called Simmons Conspiracy Santa. Yes, I will agree. Yep, yep. That was great. That was good. I did like that. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to downplay that. I thought that was really well done, actually. And yeah. and I think I think the times that Chris Pratt can be good as a leading man or just as a as a performer in a film, it, he is genuinely a funny a funny person. He's got he's got charisma. And so when you put him in this role where he's supposed to be just completely straight, completely, you know, there's no humor there, at least that, that I was getting from him. Um, I feel like it's just kind of a waste. Like if you're going to cast Chris Pratt, you got to make him funny. Uh, otherwise, I agree. He is going to be he is going to be pretty flat because he has comic chops that other yeah. action actors would die for. Yes. And, and, you know, and for example, I can't see Tom Cruise being as effective in Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Totally but but, you know, when you when you put Chris Pratt in an edge of tomorrow kind of thing where you need a Tom Cruise level dramatic actor, 
that's a problem. I kind of view Chris Pratt in the same vein as Dwayne Johnson, where I think he's a charismatic and entertaining performer, but just dramatically as an actor, he doesn't really do anything for me. Yeah. And yeah. that's okay because I think that depending on the kind of movie that you have your uh, actor starring in, you can have those qualities and it can still work on a blockbuster level. But this movie does try to take itself very seriously at times. This is not a fun movie. <laughs> I mean, it can be fun <laughs> in, a, in a certain way, but this is not a, a Guardians of the Galaxy type of film, you know? And in that, in those movies, he's admittedly playing a bit of a doofus and they, they have fun with that and so on and so forth. And I think for that reason, that's why he works so well in that role as, as Quail. But here, you do need an actor, I think, that could deliver a bit more dramatically. And once again, like, I give the movie effort for trying. Um, the the runtime in trying to develop these emotional connections with these characters and their plight is something that a lot of blockbuster films don't even attempt to do. And here they are attempting. The problem is, is that there are all these plot holes and leaps in logic that you have to make while you're watching the film. And there are these questions that your brain will ask and the screenplay just doesn't ever go there. So as a result, we're distracted and we're not able to fully form that connection that the movie wants us to. I would have loved to see a smaller scale R-rated version of this story. I think I think that yeah. could have been really something. I'll, I'll go I'll go one further than that. You know what I think would have actually have helped this movie even more? Make Chris Pratt an ordinary citizen, not yeah. some ex-military scientist so he's got all these other you know knowledge and abilities that other characters don't have. You know what was very more interesting to me than anything else in this movie? It was the people that don't have that level of training or expertise who are forced to fight in this war. That's the whole point of the movie. And they, right? And they like yep. totally did the, the counter, the counterintuitive thing is to make him a military guy. Why did he have to be drafted then? He should have signed up. Like, the, like this just doesn't make any sense. Well, he served his time and he thought he was what, whatever. I mean, like, yep. once again, your, your brain is asking these questions during the movie when it shouldn't be. And it's distracting. And it's more interesting too, like to see a, a just an ordinary citizen have him be bad, right? Yeah. Like have him not be a great soldier at least at first, you know, and have to work through that. Now he's just a great soldier, and that's it. <laughs> that's a compelling character arc, right there. I think you know, even if you do have the body and the physique of a Chris Pratt, we would still sure. maybe be able to see ourselves in that scenario as, oh my God, if I got drafted into exactly. a future war, this is what this is probably how I would be feeling too. But instead, the movie goes in a completely different direction. And it disregards that element of the plot so much so that even someone like Charlie, played by Sam Richardson, who very much is that kind of a character, we don't get to spend enough time with him mm -hmm. to experience that perspective of the war. Yeah, he's yeah. only there to make jokes. Yeah. yeah unfortunately. I mean, they did have an opportunity. When you see all the, the draftees for the first time and you notice they're all over 40, what's going on here? It's just never really explored. And we do lose a few. Mary Lynn Rashkub is in this. And right. I thought we were going to follow her because she was very prominent in the in the setup before they get to uh, the future. And uh, no, it, it's, it just seems like a, a major missed opportunity, but it would be a different movie. I agree, though, Tom, once again. They're putting in a little bit of effort here by, you know, explaining, oh, the trainers are young and all the people that are being drafted are old. Why? So that this way, because the trainers haven't been born yet in the current timeline and all of the people that are older that are being drafted are dead in the future timeline. So this is to avoid a paradox. They bring this up and it's like, oh, good. They're addressing that. That's good. The movie is aware of this, but it never plays into the plot later yeah. again. It just no. felt like that was an opportunity for them to be like, oh, the audience is definitely going to ask this question. So let's address it. The problem is, is that they do it for that, but they don't do it for so many other things in this movie. <laughs> well, and also, and also, it's it's yet another example of like an interesting idea that they don't do anything more with. Like, right. the idea of it having to be all older people that could you can do something with that. Have that, have that, you know, be something that they have to overcome. They have to work with older people or something like you know. You can do something with it. They they totally avoid basic training too as a way to say, oh, that's not yeah. going to help you. And it's like, yeah. oh. Um, mm. Explain that one to me. <laughs> you know? right, exactly. Like they show them like learning how to fire weapons and that's kind of it. <laughs> so that's that's why I go back to what we talked about earlier. 
all of, uh, not all, 90% of the problems that I have with this film are just about the way it's written. The 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 script, the story it is it doesn't fully work with me. There are too many issues that I have. It's it's the direction that actually really does work for me. Um and and the action and the and the creature design, which is just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. In terms of final thoughts for the film here, anything that we did not mention that you want to mention, anything specific and like I said, try to avoid spoilers. I know it's really tough uh because there's a whole lot of movie crammed into this, uh, but yeah, what do you got for me, Tom? I, I really enjoyed, I, I wish we had more of the women in it. Uh, Strahovski's character is, there's, a, there's I think a lot there that, that the script never really gave her a chance to show, but she, she really, what she did do um, implied that there is an interesting character there and there's another movie in that character. Um, and, and, and even Betty Gilpin in a small wife role, um, she's interesting. You know, I want to, okay, what's her story? And uh, I wish there was a little more emphasis on the women uh, in this because I think it would have been a, a, a fuller film. You know, you know that scene like in the third act where he's having a conversation with Betty Gilpin and there's like this breakthrough discovery that she makes along with him so it's like oh that's that's her contribution to the plot i guess other than being the supportive Mm -hmm. wife and they even make a joke out of it like oh did i come up with that and then she's like no i'm pretty sure i came up with that and it's like (laughs) i agree tom it's like they could have done a little bit more or reduced the role to the point that you just don't have a large actress like betty gilpin playing it then because it does feel like a wasted opportunity as far as yvonne goes though i actually thought that she did do a pretty decent job here. She is hindered by screen time, but that's because we're following Chris Pratt's character, both in the present and in the future. Throughout the entire movie, we never leave his perspective, ever. So in that regard, anybody else is going to suffer by comparison in terms of screen time. But I I actually, not that I'm disagreeing, because, yeah, of course she could have had more, but I think that she had enough. Like, she had dramatic scenes with Chris. She had scenes where she was being commanding and very much showing that she's very skilled in her role. She takes part in the action. Like, I don't know what more they could have done. Mm. Well, I mean, she's she is so good in the scene she's in. Yeah. I just wanted more. Yeah, she's she's my MVP of this movie, actually. I think that even in the scenes dramatically that where Chris Pratt isn't doing it for me, I think that she is actually elevating those scenes and... Kind of honestly, like acting circles around him, if you ask me. <laughs> yes. How it? What about you? Agreed. Chris McKay. I think he is the MVP of this movie, to be honest with you, because I think it shows what what I take away from this film more than anything is that I think he's got really good action movie directing chops. Like I, I want to see more live action from him. You know, he's he's attached to a bunch of different movies, Nightwing and and Johnny Quest and some other things like. I'm in, man. I, I think I think he did a great job with this film. I think he was dragged down by a, a poor screenplay, and uh, you know I, I'm sure he can uh, share some responsibility in that. Uh, you know, direct director share some responsibility in that as well. But um, I think the action is good enough that it makes me want to see more from him. So I wish I liked this more. There were times where I really thought I was going to be more positive on this, and then it just kind of just didn't pan out. So um, came close though. All right, I got some uh, little things here. Uh, number one, this is a very, very tiny thing. There's a continuity error in the first uh, couple of minutes of this movie where uh, Chris Pratt is outside. He learns about a job interview, and he slams some papers and kicks a garbage. And then the camera tilts down, and you see like the garbage falling over, and all the papers have mysteriously just disappeared on the ground that he just dropped a second ago. Uh, anyway, just a little thing I noticed. Uh the other thing, too, is that the drafting scene itself where he goes in, he has to take off his shirt, get the device put on. That is a very ridiculous scene where it's like, really, the military would not be answering any of your questions like at all. And they would be this abrasive about everything. And it just like felt very unbelievable to me. And I just didn't like that we had to see Chris Pratt without a shirt on. It almost gave me Matthew McConaughey vibes of like, oh, he's contractually obligated to show off his body. So, (laughs) you know, Um, it just felt unnecessary to me. And like I said, by that point, I was like, okay, this movie is definitely not trying to be the most realistic depiction of this kind of a concept, even though it is a sci-fi concept. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Uh, the other thing, too, is that there's a scene where he goes to see J.K. Simmons to get the uh, tracking device on his arm removed. And it seems like he has every single intention of removing it. And it also fe- seems like J.K. Simmons can do it. And instead, they get into a fight and he walks away from the opportunity to get it removed. And it's like, what what did you make the effort for? If I, I, I just found it kind of silly that that drama existed between the two of them to the point that, once again, it created a roadblock in the screenplay for the character when it was kind of forced and didn't seem to make any sense all of a sudden. Like, oh, I have every opportunity to get this off because we've set up a character who can do that for me. Oh, no, we're getting into a fight. And oh, how come he still doesn't get it removed? Oh, well, he's mad at him. Yeah. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Like, uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but the character of Dorian played by Edwin Hodge is uh, Aldous Hodge's brother. And I'm curious if he got offered the role and turned it down at first. I know I saw I saw that, too. I was like, wow, that guy looks a lot like Aldous Hodge. And then I saw his name. I was like, wait a minute. Hmm. So I, I was just I was just curious about that. I wonder if he did get originally offered the role and didn't end up taking it. I do like his final moment. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die my way. That was really well done, actually. And that was a minor character who didn't really need an arc like that, but they gave it to him anyway. And I actually thought that was a very satisfying moment. Uh, the scale of this film is massive. The city getting bombed, the scene at the attack on the base, even the stuff in the third act, like the scale of this movie is huge. And I really, really admire that. Uh, as Tom mentioned earlier, it really, really helps to sell the stakes here. And then there are other things, too, like they're trying to get the research out of the building before the bombs drop. And the movie says, oh, six minutes until this happens. And I'm thinking to myself, OK, we know that's really going to be like 12 <laughs> minutes because they're like counting down to when the planes are going to come in. And it's like they have to cover so much ground. And then there's the stairwell sequence where it's like, go, go, go. You got to get out of the building. You got to go now. And then they get to the stairwell and it's like everybody gets really quiet and very slow. All of a sudden, the sense of urgency is gone. Mm-hmm. And these bombers are still coming. And it's like five minutes and 30 seconds. And it's like, it's 30 seconds. That was like four fucking minutes ago. Anyway, uh, there are some issues here when it comes to both like stretching out time and then also um, the scene where they are trying to lure the female into the cage. These aliens, these creatures, uh, the white spikes, they are so strong. They move so fast. And I do not believe for a single minute that with the amount of bodies that they had in that scene, with the amount of hooks that they had in her, that they were actually strong enough to pull her. I don't believe that at all. Sorry. So there's just like some little tiny things like that, like I said, where just my suspension of disbelief just completely, it it just, it doesn't work. And I just found myself more often than not saying silly things to myself while watching this movie that I should not have been. I should have been completely lost in everything that was happening. Uh, oh, and don't even get me started on the uh, the student who is the volcanic expert. That might have been the oh. dumbest convenience in this entire movie. I hated that so much. Oh, my God. I was very mad. I understand that you want to say that the end of the world is due to global warming. I get it. I understand. But come on. <laughs> That's 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 the route we're going to go here to explain the plot. Seriously. (sighs) And then uh, finally, once again, the final fight in the snow, just the amount of sheer punishment. I mean, how many bullets? Mm -hmm. My God, how many does it take? These 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 things, these creatures, dear Lord, I got to emphasize this again. Single best aspect of the movie by far. Give the design team, give the visual effects team, give the sound team, anyone that worked on those creatures a round of applause because, dear God, those creatures were better than the movie around them. Totally agree. 100%. With that said, I am very mixed on this movie. There are some elements that I really like and there are other elements that drag it down for me. I've watched it twice now and... It's not the best watch I will have all year, but it's also not the worst. And I think if anything, I'm more upset about the fact that there was such potential here. So I'm going with a five out of ten. I'm I'm really right down the middle on this one. Tom, what about you? Boy, I, I'm I'm right there as well. As well. I mean, it, it, I'm just looking at the scale of what's good about the film and what's bad about the film. 
bad might be a little more than the good, but nonetheless, those creatures are going to be something I'm going to remember for a long time. Uh, so I am also going to give it a five because it's it's I'm very, very torn. I haven't been this torn on a movie in a long time, but uh, there's some really good stuff in it. Daniel, I I settled on a five out of ten. I was very close to giving it a four um, just because I, I am very mixed on it. But but I also think that I'm not really going to m- remember this movie, you know, in a month's time. So I was really close to be, to settling on a four. But then there really is just so much that I do actually enjoy about the movie that it bumped it up to a five out of ten right down the middle but unfortunately still overall negative. Now, as far as any kind of awards potential for the Tomorrow War, a very, very interesting case here because as we've mentioned multiple times throughout this review, the White Spikes are such a memorable component. If you do remember anything from this movie, it is going to be them. And there's a part of me that wonders if that could translate into the visual effects race or at least make the shortlist come the end of year. What do you guys think? Well, can this qualify under the new rules? Oh, because of no theatrical? I yeah. don't believe it does. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a tough thing because their whole their whole the academy's whole thing. I don't remember how, exactly how it's worded. I'd have to look up the rules, but I think it's that if it was intended for a theatrical release, it can qualify. Or no, actually, isn't isn't it? It just needs to be uploaded to their screening room within sixty days. Is that all it needs to do? I, I got to double check. I don't know. I'm I'm pulling it up right now. Y'all keep keep discussing. Yeah, it while yeah, I yeah. Look. Because I think that we, you know, we've been citing with this new rule, Dune having to do a one week before HBO Max. Well, that's for the DGA rules, though. Yeah. Now, will that carry over to the Academy? I think this at one time was intended as a theatrical release. So if those rules are still the same, it would qualify. I was going to say, because it's not playing in theaters anywhere. It's only on Prime, nowhere else. No. You know, I just looked it up myself a second ago to see if it was playing anywhere here in New York, and it's not. No. Uh, and, and I checked L.A. today, and uh, no. Which is unfortunate, too, because I think this movie would be more effective uh, in a movie theater, considering the scale, the action. Yeah. Yeah, it's not even on Fandango. I'm, I'm struggling to find the the exact rules. They used to have their... Uh covid special eligibility rules in a different place on their website okay here we go so films which are intended for theatrical release but are initially made through commercial streaming vod service or other broadcasts may qualify under these provisions that the film be made available on the secure academy screening room member site within 60 days of the film streaming vod release or broadcast and that it meets all other eligibility requirements or Films that open in theaters in at least one of the six qualifying U.S. cities, depending on theater availability, may qualify under these provisions. Okay, so option two there is not going to be a factor because there are, there is no theatrical release for this. So realistically, then, uh, this had to be intended for theatrical release, but made available through uh, the Academy's secure screening room within 60 days. It's it's tough to determine that because intended for theatrical release is, is kind of vague. They don't really define that because, of course, when when the filmmakers were making this movie, it was it's, it's not like they were making this for HBO. Like this was intended for theatrical release. Yep. Yeah. So that could qualify. But when Paramount sold this off to Amazon, Amazon reportedly never had any intentions of having this be a theatrical film. That's why Paramount sold it off. So what is intended for theatrical release mean? The filmmakers intended yeah. it, but the studio didn't. So I don't, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to define that. I mean, also too, it got sold off. I think it was in, it was because of COVID that it was sold off. Like it was, it was because Paramount didn't want to run the, no, no, no. Okay. It got sold to Amazon studios in early 2021. Okay. Yeah. So and they, they announced they acquired it back in the spring, and here we are now. It's being released in the summer. Uh, yeah, I agree. That's a very, very vague gray area. But here's the deal, though, anyway. All this is moot if, you know, you don't think that it's worthy of right. this kind of recognition. And, like, I, I think with one sound category, there's no way that that's happening. I don't think it could contend anywhere else. I think this is a visual effects or bust. Yeah, yeah and- maybe. I don't think it's actually going to get there. No, I think that I'm afraid it's going to get forgotten. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it had Amazon given it, it even a week before this and raised its profile. Yeah, maybe. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, just a single theater run in LA would that would help. 
But uh, right now, I don't even know whether Academy members know that this is out there. Exactly. I think it goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning, though, which is that I don't think that they ha- have much much confidence in this movie, despite the fact that they paid like $200 million for it. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, that, that, that's pretty wild that they paid that and then didn't release it in theaters. I, I, and that they kind of buried it, like I was talking about earlier. Like, I, I don't think many people are watching this film. I don't think many people know that this is out, to be, to be honest with you. So I, I think they really just kind of dumped it, which is fine. Like, it's, you know, it's not like this is some incredible work of art that must be seen. But it's like if you're going to pay that high of a price for it and the movie's not that bad, no. I, I'm not quite sure why they why they buried it the way that I, it's to me that it feels that they did. Yeah, I saw this movie at the beginning of June um, and I wasn't allowed to talk about it until yesterday, like or I guess a day and a half ago. And it's kind of like why i would have been telling people yeah it's not that bad it's it's pretty solid there's some good elements to it so it's just I, it's just weird I'm, I'm not quite sure why they did that yeah i i i have the feeling this may be a movie like star Tro- starship troopers that will look a lot better in about five years because all we're going to see in clips of the creature scenes yeah yeah i agree i i really do think that people should see it just for those action sequences alone it's it's a little long so i i understand the commitment aspect but Damn, it's some of the best action I've seen uh, mm-hmm. both this year and last year combined. Yeah, totally. If this had come out in theaters and and made some okay box office, I think it would have had a shot at the shortlist for VizFX. Um, you know, just kind of having that residual love that people would have for the creature design. But the way it's been buried, I think it's I think it's uh, nothing. I don't think it's gonna even make a dent. All right, Tom O'Brien, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. Daniel Howitt. You can find me on Twitter at HowittDK. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of The Tomorrow War here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show, drop us a comment, rate us five stars. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 